You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. First reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 16. The Spirit versus the flesh. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one one another. And now from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right, how you doing? Those of you who are here nursing hangovers just get a little nervous. That's a joke. It's the only one I got, sorry. If I haven't met you, I'm Jonathan. I'm the vicar here, the pastor of the church. Great to be with you here this morning. We're going to jump right into those passages that John just read so well for us. And the reason we're looking at these passages in particular uh, is because I've been asking around and asking for suggestions for things that we might be able to teach uh, because between major teaching series where we have a, a set of passages that we just work through chronologically, we have a chance uh, very often in school holidays, for example, to Um, attend to a topic that might be particularly helpful. So a lot of the questions I received in the last couple of weeks were around the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, What does he do? Uh, The person, the work, the nature of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and those questions came from a very broad spectrum. Um, Just like our church is, is one of the beautiful things about our church is every week we have people here who wouldn't yet call themselves believers in the Lord Jesus. We've had people who've been following after him for many years, and so I love that about this place. Uh, We can learn from one another. Um, 
And so maybe just to begin, we'll get to more Holy Spirit teaching next year. I want to weave that in a little bit more depth and detail, more uh, time given to it than we can in one sermon on a Sunday morning. But just in case that you are sort of at that place where all of this is kind of new, let me just give you a very simple diagram of what we believe about the Trinity. So we believe, and we say every other week in the Creed, God is Trinity, one God in three persons. So I find this diagram helpful, um, and it basically just illustrates that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Holy Spirit nor the Son. The Son is not the Father nor the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. They are three in one. So just maybe have that as a kind of little foundation to work from this morning, because we're going to talk a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit here, and uh, particularly how the Spirit works in our lives to make us more like the Son. So as I was thinking about with the Holy Spirit as a general sort of theme, what can I specifically teach on this morning? I was looking around, it's springtime, the sun's out, the trees are blossoming, it's a beautiful time. Um, Unless you're like me, and then just all of a sudden, once a year, you become allergic to the air, which is not fun, for about three months. Like, I, I'm, I feel sorry for your lactose intolerance, but just imagine being allergic to the air. Anyway, aside from that, spring's a great time. There's, yeah, the trees are, are blossoming. We've got fruit trees out the back of our place that are all starting to bud, and those flowers will eventually turn into fruits. And so that got me thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about this beautiful plan of God for everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus, that they would be given the Holy Spirit and that out of their, that, 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 that place of having the Spirit dwelling within them, they would produce fruit. As Jesus said, fruit in keeping with righteousness, holiness. So let me just read that passage for you from Galatians chapter 5. He gives us a, a contrast between bad fruit, rotten fruit, and good fruit, spiritual fruit. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That's called it just the, it's your, is it your third drawer down in your kitchen? Maybe it's your fourth. It's just everything else goes in there. The top three are pretty well ordered, and then, yeah, it's a junk drawer. That's what Paul's just done. He's going to give us some examples of sin, and then he just says, and all the other stuff. All right, so that's just the big junk drawer. And then he goes on to say something shocking. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things, think about what practice is. Habitual, ongoing, giving yourself to something. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he drops the mic. And then he picks it up again because he wants to give you the positive case as well as the negative. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So, if you're a follower of Jesus... These are some of the things you love about Jesus. When you read about the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, these are kind of the kinds of things he manifests in his life. And, and, and in, somewhere in your heart of hearts, you just would love to manifest more of this kind of fruit in your life because you want to be more like the Savior, the Lord, the Son. The problem is that as trees, we have nothing within us to produce such fruit, we can't simply kind of exert ourselves and fruit might appear. A, a tree needs nutrients, it needs sun, it needs water, it needs 
stuff from outside of itself in order to produce fruit, and so it is with us. We'll get nowhere just trying to master self-improvement. Even self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that can only be given to us by a gift of grace. So the question is, is there anything we can do to invite the nutrients of the Spirit into the, 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 the trunk and branches of this tree so that we might produce much fruit? Is there anything we can do? And the answer is yes, there is. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that we ought, to, ought not to do so that we might be able to produce good fruit. Paul has warned us not to do certain things here that would prevent us from producing that fruit. Paul also tells the churches in his letters not to quench the Spirit, which if you think that Spirit is God himself, is an astonishing capability we have. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. There are things that we can do in order to invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit more fully into our lives so that we might bear much fruit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit that enables us to live more like Jesus, who is the perfect human being. So I want to look at that this morning. I want to look at three ways that we can, in partnership with the Spirit, position ourselves to manifest and produce a crop, the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to work through those two passages. So just have a finger in each of them so that we can um, jump into them together. Three ways of being that enable the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I've got like three boating, three nautical, three, yeah, three boating analogies that I'm going to use, Okay. And, uh, and, and the point I want to get to is that we understand that the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and our interaction with the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he, he leads us, that we're called to keep in step with him, and that we're called to be filled with him. Led in step and filled. All right? I've got three Three boating analogies that I hope will help us get our heads around this sometimes confusing subject. So, first of all, led. Number one, led by the Spirit. One of the most astonishing things Jesus says in his earthly ministry, at least as far as I'm concerned, is when he has told his disciples that he's going to leave them. This is the night before he's crucified. He tells them he's going, he's going to be killed, and they lose it. And the reason they lose it is because he's the man. And they've given everything up to follow him because he's the man. And he, they've put all of their hopes in him being the promised Messiah who's going to bring the kingdom of God. He's going to chuck out the Romans and inaugurate God's kingdom on the earth. And now he says, I'm going. So they're distraught. In the upper, upper room, you remember before he shares the Last Supper with them, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And here he comforts them by talking about the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at John 16. He says, nevertheless, even though I'm going, I'm telling you the truth, it is for your benefit that I go away. Astonishing thing to say. I would not have believed him. I don't think. It's better? That's doubtful. But he goes on, explains why. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor, that's one of the names that Jesus has for the Holy Spirit, if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now, it's better for them and better for us that Jesus goes away because Jesus in his earthly ministry is bound by laws of the universe, right? He's in a body. He can only be in one place at once. It was great for the 
disciples to have him constantly teaching them, but what about everyone else? What about everyone from Jerusalem to to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, Caroline Springs? It's better for us because Jesus sends his spirit into the world who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, everywhere, all at once, and accessible to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus and receives the gift of the Spirit who now dwells in the temple of their body. He goes on a little bit later on in John 16. On that next slide, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So you won't have me here, you 12 won't have me here to teach you about the kingdom of God. But when I die and rise, I send the spirit of truth and he will guide you, you, all of you, all the Christians for all time, he will guide you into all the truth. All the people, all the truth. That's his ministry. A major ministry of the Holy Spirit is to guide us. Just as Jesus was a good shepherd, so the Spirit himself is a shepherd who guides us. Here's my first boating analogy. I got it from a guy, charismatic pastor, preacher called Judson Cornwall. He's dead now, but he came up with this analogy for the ministry of guidance that the Spirit has by talking about uh, ships that come in from the sea into an estuary, right, a, a river system. And he was American, and in America they have massive rivers, like enormous rivers you can hardly see the other side of. And so there's a lot of shipping that goes up these rivers into the interior of the continent. We have it here to a lesser extent. But the problem is you have these shipping captains who are familiar with how to sail a ship at sea, but when it comes to navigating estuaries, they have much less experience, and an estuary system, a river system, is very changeable, right, very changeable. The currents are changeable, the levels of water are dependent on rainfall, snow melt, all kinds of things, like the sandbars, the, the ground itself, the, um, the, the, the river bottom and banks are changing all of the time, and so it's very hazardous hazardous to navigate these river river estuaries. So, the captain, when he comes to a river estuary, does something very smart. He picks up the phone and calls someone called a, a maritime pilot. And the maritime pilot is someone who knows the river system more than anyone else. Knows it like the back of his hand, right? And he knows the current conditions for the river system. So, the the Captain gets on the phone to the maritime pilot and asks for guidance through difficult waters. Now, the analogy is obvious, right? Like we, as believers in the Lord Jesus, are called to follow him and he is going on a narrow and dangerous path. He has gone before us and he has said to us, broad is the way and easy the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And so it is with each one of us, if you are determined to live a life that follows Jesus, a life of righteousness. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus clarified that for us. Righteousness is living like God, thinking God's thoughts after him, doing God's will, living in God's ways, right? So if we want to be godly, that's a narrow path and it's a treacherous path. There are all kinds of shoals and reefs and sandbars and all kinds of things that can shipwreck us. And so the thing we need to do, the wise thing, the smart thing, is to pick up the phone and call for the maritime pilot. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, Jesus says, to guide us, lead us, right? Guide us into all truth. Guide us through our Christian lives. Truth here is not just like 
doctrine, like that we might believe the right things. It is that, but it's no, it's all of life. How do, how do you make all of life all about Jesus? Well, you're going to need someone to guide you. God gives people in his church to guide you. There are all kinds of people in this church who are great people to give you counsel and guidance. But let's not neglect the ministry of the Spirit who exists in part to guide us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 to 18, Paul says, The flesh desires what is against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is against the flesh. Right? Flesh is the part of me that is not yet regenerate. It's the part of me that doesn't yet fully, hasn't yet fully been made into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. One day that will happen, God will do it. He will fully restore me to everything that I ought to have been. He will recreate me in the likeness of his son. But now I'm believing and I have the spirit dwelling within me, but I still have these parts of me that are of the flesh and they're at war with the spirit. So the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. You feel that? Man, I want to I just live. I just want to be a little version of Jesus in everything I do and say and think. That's what I want, but I don't do what I want. And the encouragement If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That is the the law of the flesh. You're not governed anymore by that part of you that rejects Jesus. You, You are now led by the Spirit who only ever leads you into truth and righteousness and holiness and fruitfulness. So what are the like what are the areas of your life? that are treacherous right now. What, like you are, you are traveling up a narrow estuary in a big ship and there's a lot of ways this thing can go wrong. What are the areas of your life right now where there are sunken logs and sandbars and shoals and reefs? How might you be able to weave into a daily habitual experience calling for guidance? How might you be able to start the day acknowledging that the way is narrow and treacherous and you need help? This is hard for some of us to admit that we actually need help. A tip in how to get around that, which is pride, is just to think about how well you do on your own. I'll give you the answer. You don't do well, all right? You, like all of us, are constantly (laughs) wrecking that ship. So, call the pilot. He's right there. That's what he's there for. Ask for guidance. What about my second point here. We want to be led or guided by the Spirit. We also want to be in step with the Spirit. To be in step with the Spirit means to live like Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus, if we are in step with Him, in sync with Him, that's how we can, little by little, as we mature as believers, live more like our Savior, Jesus. How do you live a life of righteousness? How, I mean, how can you think God's thoughts after him? How can your heart beat in sync with the heartbeat of God himself? We need to live in step with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5:15 to 16. Let's read that. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. The way is narrow. Galatians 
24 to 25. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Astonishing to think that that's possible. Not just possible, but commanded. To keep in step with the Spirit. To live in sync with the Spirit. Here's my second boating analogy. I went to this really uh, affluent high school, like a private school, and, uh, and I think um, the teachers could see that all of us were just like silver spoon-fed, coddled softies. And so what they would do is every year they would take us away on a camp, like a two-week-long camp, and punish us, right? And, and just get us to the point of death without actually killing us. I think that was the idea. That was the goal. And uh, I'm all for it. I'm a big fan. But the, the, I remember one uh, that we went on, which was down by the sea, and it was a sea kayaking camp. So uh, what we would do is um, just begin on a beach with a, a drop, like a, a food drop, and, uh, and chuck that in the, the sea kayaks, two-person sea kayaks, and then we had to paddle just up the coast, essentially, to different drops each day and there would be food and you know you just put up a tarp and sleep under it and um and it, it was pretty wild like the, it was winter it was cold it was windy and it was hard um but I, I do remember distinctly the first day we got there and you, you know if you know teenage boys like every one of us just wants to be the king of the camp all right and we just know the way to be the king of the camp is to get to each new camp first. Get there first, get the best spot, and just be relaxing while everyone else comes in exhausted. That's the goal. And so I had my best mate, Stuart, and we, had, we, we were convinced that we were gonna be kings of camp. And so we uh, fancied ourselves to be able to get this boat to the destination faster than anybody else. I remember so distinctly getting in, it was a green plastic sea kayak, getting in that thing together. Part of the way of punishing us was giving us no instruction whatsoever about what to do with these things. So we just got in and then they were like, all right, let's go. And we just hammered, like hammer and tongs, as hard as we could on those paddles and got absolutely nowhere. It went backwards, probably. We kept going and going and going and going and got nowhere, and we were like, this boat is broken. Get us a new boat. And we had, like, you know, we had all kinds of people just cruising past us, and we had no idea what was wrong. And then the guy, one of the guys, the outdoor education guys, in his single kayak, came up to us and tied a rope from the back of his kayak to the front of ours. And that's when we learned what a, like a really strong man looks like because he just like towed us out past the waves and then said, follow me. Take your paddle and follow me. Do what I'm doing, exactly how I'm doing it. And we just rocketed out of there. Not just because he was dragging us along, but because we're at, what? In step, in sync. Yes. Life in the Spirit is life in sync with the Spirit. In step with the Spirit. I'm convinced that the most unhappy people in, on earth are not atheists. They're Christians who are living out of step with the Spirit. They're Christians who are at war with the Spirit, working against the Spirit. Because 
that Christians, they have the Spirit, they have this inner conviction about the way they ought to be living, but because they're at war with the Spirit, all that produces is frustration, guilt, shame. You can be going hammer and tongs at that paddle and not going anywhere because you're out of sync. Do you get it? Yeah. So we need to be in sync. How on earth do we do that? To be in sync with the Spirit, we need to have our minds trained on the Spirit. Not like a once-off thing on a Sunday when the guy up the front talks about it, but like a daily rhythm. My wife's brother was a, a cox for the awesome foursome rowing team. He went to Atlanta Olympics and he's got medals and the role of the cox is to sit in the boat and just call the strokes, right? And all you're doing as a rowing team through all of the four years leading up to the Olympic Games is learning how to hit your strokes. You can be the biggest, baddest, strongest rowers and if you're not in sync, over. I believe that the Spirit is calling us, like calling the stroke rate for us constantly. And we can quench him by tuning him out or attending to other things. But if we're tuned into the Spirit, that is, if we know who he is and what he's like, and the best way to do this is to read your Bible. Read your Bible back to front. Read your Gospels. Jesus is the example of someone who walked in step with the Spirit. Jesus was full of the Spirit and lived in sync with the Spirit. He's the best example. There are some other examples in this church of people who are very much filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, but just go to the top, all right? Look at the way Jesus lived. Train yourself after his way of living. Ask for guidance from the Spirit that you might walk in ways of righteousness. Here's the, here's the truth. The world around us has its own stroke rate. This is not just a Christian thing, right? The whole world has a stroke rate that they're keeping, and if we don't tune in to the stroke rate that the Spirit sets, we're just going to fall into line with everything else. I promise. It's like the easiest thing in the world. As soon as we stop paying attention to the Spirit, the life of Jesus, his, his example to us of how to live, asking for guidance from the Spirit, we will simply fall into the stroke rate of those who are around us. So I can tell you what I've seen in the last 20 years that I've been doing church ministry. I've seen this happen across the church when it comes to sex ethics. It's a really easy example. It's no, it's no surprise that Paul mentions in all of those lists and litanies of sinfulness that's going to kill us, like sexual immorality is a big part of it. This is not a new thing. This is not, not the fault of the 1960s, right? This is in our flesh. I met with a guy recently who, God bless him, he's like 20 and he's got this heart to live in step with the Spirit. He wants to be more like Jesus. It's phenomenal. You come across a 20-year-old kid who really desires for that, that's, that's amazing. Praise God for his grace. But he said to me that he has been struggling with this area of his life. And the counsel that he had received from a mentor in the church who he went to because this guy had been a Christian for much longer than him, the counsel he received was just to kind of go with it. And the reason he gave was because this friend of mine was depressed and, and had very low self-esteem. And so this guy was like, well, you know, if you spend, you know, if you, if you dabble with a few girls, you'll probably feel a bit better about yourself. And 
Is anyone upset by that? I smashed my fist on the table when I heard that. It's not just the world outside who is trying to set the stroke rate for us. Sometimes it's the world within. Sometimes it's the church. That's why he says, pay careful attention. All right, I've got to keep moving. Oh, first of all, let me just read Galatians 5.16. This will give us some more meat. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit, same metaphor, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Certainly not. All right, third point. You know, we've been led by the Spirit and step in sync with the Spirit. Now, finally, filled. Filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 17 to 18. Let's read that. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And everyone who just thought, well, I'm a beer drinker, so I'm okay, it, it's, he means all of that, all right? Don't get drunk on those spirits, because it's just going to lead you back into the flesh, right? They'll be filled by the Spirit. Now, here's the problem with that, right? That's a command. Don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. The problem is, I don't know how to obey that command. I mean, I get the drunken bit, but how do you obey a passive command? Be filled by the Spirit. See the problem? Like, if I say to you, punch the person next to you, you can obey that command. Don't, don't obey it. But if I said to you, be punched by the person next to you, you'd be like, I'm not sure how to do that. I mean, there, there are things you could do that might encourage them to punch you, and maybe that's the point here. Be filled by the Spirit. He has to put it that way in the passive voice because we can't fill ourselves with the Spirit. We don't tell the Spirit what to do. You know what Jesus says about the Spirit in John 3? He's the wind. He blows wherever he wills. He's wild. He's not, he's not tame. He's the wind. In fact, the word spirit in Greek, pneuma, is the same as the, it's the same word as wind and breath. Spirit, wind, breath, these are all the same word. So be filled with the wind. Now, I, that, okay, here's a maritime metaphor that might help us. To be filled with the wind. Well, we know things that are filled by the wind. They are sails. If you have a sailing boat, if you want to go anywhere, you need to be, have your sails filled with the wind. Now, the metaphor really works because it kind of solves this problem for us. I've only been on a sailing boat a couple of times, and I don't know a whole lot about them, but I know this. All of the power to move that thing across the water, sometimes at great speeds, comes from outside of the thing itself, right? The only way you're going anywhere is if the wind blows. And if it doesn't, you're, you're in the doldrums is where you are. So it is with the Spirit. All of the power, like the incredible cataclysmic power for the Christian life comes from outside of us. It comes from the wind, the breath, the Spirit. If you ask a sailor, is the experience of sailing, like is, is sailing a sailing boat? Let me just think about this. 
you went to someone who sails boats and you said, is sailing a boat an experience that happens to you or an action that you participate in, I think they would say it's both. It's something that happens to you because all of the power is coming from outside of you and you have no control over it. It's the wind. But if you don't participate in, I don't know, doing that thing with the, and doing the rigging and the, help me out, what's this thing? Spinnaker. No. Anyway, unless uh, I've seen them do it, they're doing all kinds of things all the time, right? They're, they are at work. Got to turn into the wind, exactly. You need to have the right sails at the right amount of unfurling. <laughs> You've got to do that thing with the rope and ratchet that other thing. Been studying hard for this sermon. The point is, you've got to do something, right? You can't just sit there and hope that the wind will blow you in exactly, precisely the direction that you want to go in. And so I think it is the case with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All of the power comes from outside of us. We have no control over it. But we are called to actively participate in the ministry of the Spirit so that we might be filled and the interesting thing about the grammar there is that the, it's in the, in the present continuous voice, be filled as in like filled and continually filled with the Spirit. It's not just something that happens when you become a Christian and then you're just cruising. It's no, it's something you need to ask the Lord to do and participate in the ministry of constantly, continually filled with the Spirit. That's how you get where God wants you to go. That's how you live a victorious Christian life, a life molded after your own Lord Jesus. Ephesians 5, 17 to 21. We read that to finish. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, debauchery, licentiousness, sinfulness, but be filled by the Spirit. And here's some of the things that Paul says is uh, congruent with the actions of a sailor, right? Doing the things that enable the filling of the sails. He says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Right? These are just examples of doing the sailing boat thing. Examples of opening our sails so that the wind might fill them. Speaking to one another. Words of encouragement. I can't tell you how blessed I am. How blessed I am when someone comes to me and says, you know, I was thinking about this passage of scripture and I just thought it might be an encouragement to you. That's exercising a prophetic gift. Speaking words of encouragement from God himself into someone's life so that they might be encouraged to live more like Christ that's opening your sails up. You can do it for others. That's part of what submitting to one another is. How can I serve you so that your sails might be unfurled? Singing, making music. The five songs we have in this service are not buffers for the other stuff that we do, right? They're not interludes. They are the means by which God fills us with his spirit. Have you ever experienced it? Have you ever allowed yourself enough to get your mind enough off yourself to sing with this kind of ab abandonment that opens you up 
This is why some of us raise our hands because we wanna, we're embodied creatures and we want to say to God, I'm, op- I'm open to you. My, my, this is my sail. Blow the wind of the Spirit. Fill me. Giving thanks always for everything. I love that. Giving thanks always for everything is a means by which God sort of opens the way, opens the sails that he might fill us with his spirit. The ministry of the spirit is to lead us even through treacherous waters, maybe even especially through treacherous waters. The ministry of the Spirit is to be calling our stroke rate so that we can keep in sync, in step with God himself. And the ministry of the Spirit is to fill us that we might be empowered to live lives that please our Heavenly Father. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Jesus was right, you know. It's better. It's better that he left so that he could send the Spirit. The Spirit was active and moving all through eternity past. He's always been God and always will be God. He was active in the creation of the universe. But through the old covenant, he visited people. He he anointed people for this task, this king, for this ministry, right? These these priests for that. And and he would would visit them and empower them for certain things. And then it was a kind of a temporal thing. This is why David prays in the Psalms, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He wanted to just have it at all times. Well, here's the truth. You've got what he wanted. You have the Spirit dwelling within you and He's not going anywhere. He's available to you at all times, in all circumstances. Right at the darkest moment where you think God is furthest away from you because of the action or the um, environment that you're participating in, He has not gone anywhere. He's as close as He ever was. Even in the act of Rebellion and sin, God is still right where he's always been, dwelling within you. So call on him. Ask him to minister to you. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you. We thank you. We ask for your blessing on these, your people. And above all else, Lord God, as followers of the Lord Jesus, convicted of the call to make all of life all about him, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us, guide us, empower us and strengthen us to live this one short life that we have. making the most of the time because of the days are evil. Pouring all of our effort and energy into allowing the power of the Spirit to be at work in our lives for our good, for the good of the world, and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, just take some time to reflect on the ministry of the Spirit. Ask God to fill you with Him.
the face. 